Welcome to the Creative Curmudgeon. My name is Jason, and it's been great on this podcast when I've been able to meet people who I am a big fan of. Is that a right? Is that a proper sentence, or of whom I'm a big fan? That's I don't know. Anyway, I believe that uh, Orson Welles would would wrap your knuckles for it, but it's fine by me. Was the latter one correct? Yes. All right. It's an honor to meet people of whom I am a big fan. And this is one of those cases. Uh, I have the honor of being joined by Gretchen Felker Martin, author of the horror novel Manhunt, one of the greatest horror novels ever written. Um, first of all, Gretchen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join me. I, I hope that this is tolerable. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very glad to be here. and. and- Thank you for the invitation and the very flattering introduction. Um, how would you describe this book to anybody who's not familiar with it? How have you described it? I mean, I, I think I've usually let the cover do the talking for me. You know, it's 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 a book about women who eat balls. It is not highbrow. It's not reserved or subtle. It's pulp. It's it's pulp for trans people by trans people. Um, that's what I've always loved, and that's what I wanted to make. And I'm I'm incredibly lucky that people have, have gotten a lot out of it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, is there anything that you are working on these days? So I just turned in um, the second and and largely final draft of my next novel cuckoo um which will be out june of next year um and it's about a group of queer and trans teenagers in the mid 90s who are sent to a conversion therapy camp in the desert um and discover that there is some sort of body snatching operation underway um awesome Um, and I'm currently working on um, my 2025 release, Black Flame, which is about the restoration of a 1930s queer horror exploitation film. Um, and is, is sort of like based in the film restoration industry. Okay. Um are you the kind of per- like have you been working on these projects like simultaneously or are you the kind of person that just needs to work on like one at a time i really do best when it's one at a time um, and that's what i've been doing for the past couple of years okay how would you say that you got into writing to begin with um it was actually a pretty tough progression for me um i learned to read very late I think I was nine, if not almost 10. Um, And even after I learned, I had a really, really difficult time writing. Um, Even physically, my my hand would cramp up. But beyond that, it was very hard for me to differentiate where words ended and started. I don't know if it was some kind of dyslexia or something. But probably until I was 14 or 15, having to write, you know, so much as a thank you note would make me cry. Um, and then one night 
I was reading something, some fantasy novel. I don't even remember what it was anymore. And it just wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. I had all these expectations and it was, it was letting me down and it, it, I felt like it was lazy and weak and unimaginative. And I just got so frustrated that I started to write what I wanted. Um, and it was, it was like a damn burst. I've been doing it every day ever since. That's super interesting. I've, I've, I've heard that sentiment largely in regards to music uh, like punk, et cetera, where yeah. like there's the dissatisfaction with what exists. So you make like what you want to hear. Um, but I haven't heard that in reference to literature. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Oh, thanks. Um, so did the ha handwriting issues like just, just go away on their own? Like after well, 14, 15? I, um, a, a big help to me was getting an old computer from my uncle um, who worked at General Electric and had old equipment sitting around his his place for as long as I knew him. Um, I, I I have terrible handwriting to this day. Um, my my posture for gripping a pen I don't know why. It's um, I grip it like I'm left-handed, but I use my right hand, so it's it's curled oh. in on itself, um, and it it causes it to cramp really quickly. No, there's a lot of authors that like claim to write their novels by hand. And that seems completely, I mean, I know there's like a kind of satisfying thing about writing by hand for a lot of people, but that seems completely ludicrous to me. Oh God. Yeah. No, that sounds like a nightmare. Even, even if I was good at writing by hand, why? <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I would like to ask you about horror specifically. What got you into horror? Early experiences being scared, honestly. Um, there's just something in my brain chemistry that wanted to go back to it and back to it and back to it. I remember as early as when I was six or seven and my father was reading me The Hobbit. Um, we got to the chapter where Bilbo and Gollum are having a, a riddle competition in the dark. And if Bilbo loses, Gollum's going to eat him. And if he wins, Gollum's going to show him the way out. And I was, oh, I had the worst nightmares, just unbelievably horrible nightmares. And then the next night I asked my dad if we could read it again, because it had been so exciting for me to be so scared. Um, was it, was it kind of like, like a, like an adrenaline rush, like why people, you know, drive fast cars or whatever, but just kind of like mentally. I think that's part of it. Um, and I think it was also really exciting for me as a, a kid who had a pretty tough childhood Mm -hmm. to have some measure of control over something bad that I was feeling hmm. that I could stop it if I wanted to, but it was going to be my choice if I did it. That's interesting. So just like it, it was, it was a form of escapism and like kind of, it was empowering that you were able to like control your own fear. Whereas like that was not a common thing in your, in your day to day. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, yeah. And there, you know, there are other, early Keystone experiences. Um, I watched Jurassic Park when I was very young and I I used to beg to rent it until finally we got a VHS tape of it when I was maybe eight or nine. And it just terr terrified myself silly with that scene with the velociraptors in the kitchen. 
I honestly I haven't it. seen Jurassic Park since since I was a uh, since since the '90s, so I don't know what scene you're oh, talking about. But um, obviously, I know Jurassic Park's like a scary movie, right? You know, for for a child, it's certainly pretty pretty alarming. Uh, the yeah. scene is the the kids are are being hunted in a kitchen full of like highly reflective stainless steel, um, and it's it's very silent and very easy to make noise accidentally in a kitchen, and it's just it's oh it's so tense. Um, I wanted to share some of my ex experiences with horror and to see if you could relate to any of them, if, if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I got into horror, you know, as a kid, starting with, you know, Goosebumps and then moving on to Stephen King and then moving on to, you know, slasher films that were coming out or like Scream and I know what you did last summer and those being kind of gateways to Nightmare on Elm Street, et cetera. Right. Um, and then I got back into horror in twenty nine in late twenty nineteen. I read um, Paperbacks from Hell by Grady Hendrix. I don't know if you ever read that. I know um, it, um, but no, I haven't read it. Well, it's like you know, just like a big catalog of like pulpy right. horror fiction or whatever. So I got I was starting to get into that, but this was like moving into pandemic times. So like. Over the course of 2020, I read like over a hundred like horror novels and wow. just got like obsessed with it. I usually read like 50-ish books a year, but obviously I had like a lot of time right at home, as as did as did the rest of us. Um, but there was something like really comforting about it. And since then, like, I've, I, I I still read horror, but I also read more stuff that's, like, not horror. But at the time, it was, like, specifically that. Like, it was very, like, escapist. And I've done a little bit of reading as to, like, why that is for a lot of people. Like, why that's, like, comforting. And I think for me, part of the thing is, like, the visual. I was talking about this with a friend of mine on a different podcast about Batman. About how, like, I have, like, a lot of, like, light sensitivity and so the fact that like a lot of things like take place in like dark settings feels like visually comforting to me. Like that's the case with Batman. And I think with like a lot of horror as well, weirdly enough, but then like also like the idea of how it helps people with trauma. Like I don't fully understand it. Stephen Graham Jones, I, I listened to a podcast he did where he was kind of talking about how like with the slasher, there's like something that's comforting about people going through like the most fucked up shit but then like making it like at the end and how that's like subconsciously empowering or whatever i don't know if that's true for like everybody but i haven't been able to figure it out really and i was curious if any of that i mean you already kind of said as far as like you know being able to control your fear but i was just curious like if you if you had other experiences with that i mean what you're what you're saying to me now i definitely I hear it. It makes sense to me. Um, people have so many different relationships to horror for so many different reasons. I think that on a, a primal level in the same way that like all apes and monkeys kind of have a habit of sticking their fingers in whatever holes they can find. Mm -hmm. We want to feel around inside our subconscious we want to to put our fingers in all the little holes in there. Um, and it's exciting to figure out the shape of it um, 
by by sort of bombarding it with stimuli. I think that, you know, not not only is it interesting, it's also incredibly valuable to understand why you experience fear, why you experience disgust, why you experience uh, terror and anger. Do you do you get scared uh, like reading books currently or watching movies? Every so often, yeah, um, and I, I really treasure it. Um, I think the last thing that that really got the hair on the back of my neck up um, was "Talk to Me." I thought that was a nice, scary movie. Alison Rumfitt's "Brain Worms" also scared me and royally grossed me out several times. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of of pushing myself to feel something in that way yeah that, that that makes sense and for me also just like you know the human stories that can exist within horror that also exist in like not horror stories like things that are about you know pushing the self and relationships and whatever like mm-hmm. that's all well and good like those stories but then like you might as well like throw in you know demonic babies or whatever <laughs> the fuck like why not um yeah I was I was I was also going to say that like starting in 2020 um things started to resemble I mean way before 2020 but like specifically um things started to really feel like they were in like a horror novel or a horror movie and it kind of still feels that way both the way that people re- were reacting to to COVID in 2020 and just like disregarding it or whatever. And then just like the way that like people have been left behind now, like it all horror feels more realistic than something that's not that. I don't know if that sounds cliche, but. No, I agree with you. I, I think it has been a tremendously traumatic and psychically taxing three or four years. Um. And it, sometimes it's nice to have that reflected back and to have some well-ordered and creative voice say like, yeah, you're not actually crazy for perceiving the world in this way. This is, this is what's happening around you. And, right. And it's not good. Right. Totally. Um, my experience with like writing and anything horror is like the stand in for things that I don't feel like, comfortable talking about um in like a blatantly like autobiographical sort of way both because you know of being just like guarded but then also experiences that involve like other people where like I wouldn't want to like make something that's like blatantly about this thing that I actually experienced and then like you know sacrifice the privacy of other people so it makes sense for me to be like oh this isn't about my traumatic childhood this is about a werewolf Right. Um, Was that at all an influence for you as far as like writing stuff that was like more autobiographical and then like transitioning to horror, like for that reason? No, I've I've never been interested in autobiographical writing. Um, You know, a, a lot of my work contains things that I have been through sort of pulled apart and reassembled and, and reinterpreted and recontextualized, but I don't, I don't, um, I don't write autobiographical fiction. Just because it's like boring. Yeah, it never interested me. I've, I've never really 
been into it, I I can really count on one, maybe two hands, the number of autobiographical pieces of fiction that I find interesting at all. You have to be either uh, incredibly well-read, obsessive, like Alison Bechdel, who has had a lot of very interesting experiences and a lot of very novel settings, or you have to have gone through something like truly unique and no matter what you also need skill so it's a it's a tough road to hoe there's a lot of a lot of um hurdles to leap so when you started writing did you start by writing more short stories or poems did you just delve straight into trying to write longer pieces i went straight into novels um I, I wrote fantasy novels for years and years and years. Um, and then after college, um, after I came out, I decided to transition into writing horror. What were, what was your, what were your fantasy novels like? Like, who were your, some of your big influences as far as that was concerned? Oh, you know, it was, it was Glenn Cook and George R. R. Martin and Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, and just this sort of like, I, I was brought up in a um, a very isolated religious context. So there's a lot of like weird religious exploitation and horror stuff in my early work. I'm curious as a reader, how exactly you absorb from other writers? Like, do you take notes as you go along or is it kind of more of a, you read closely and then through a natural osmosis, you kind of take stuff in? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's more the second. I I know I'm absorbing. Sometimes an image or uh, a line will really lodge in my mind, and I'll let it kind of um, accrue its own covering in there. You know, like a, a sand turning into a pearl or whatever. I guess that's kind of trite. Um, I can definitely feel when something is like penetrating to a level where I care enough to think about it and possibly respond to it in my own work. That's always clear to me. Do you have a favorite book and or writer? I truly, I, I truly don't think that I could, I could pick one. Um, but I do have many, many writers who are are very important to me um patrick suskind who wrote perfume the story of a murderer i've always wanted to read that i i haven't but i know that that was like like the nirvana song scentless apprentice was about that yeah um and he is, so always... he is truly extraordinary it's a it's an incredible book um umberto echo very important to me shirley jackson melanie tem hillary mantle um, I really, really deeply love the the Wolf Hall novels about Thomas Cromwell. Um, I think that's some of the best contemporary prose and some of the most ambitious novel writing since like, I mean, you know, this sounds overblown, but I really mean it since like Ulysses and the Waves, the modernist stuff. Um, Were you able to read Ulysses? Yes, I was. Um, that's that's something that I really pushed myself to do during and after college. I've, I've read it a couple of times, and you know, it's it's one of those cases where something is so ubiquitous in 
academic settings that it kind of becomes background noise to a lot of people. But I, I found it really, really, really rewarding. Um, that was also the case for me with with Moby Dick um, and with Nabokov, who I, I really come to love. Um, I also I'm, I'm a, a lifelong fan of Cormac McCarthy, uh, especially. Oh, yeah. Um, Blood Meridian and No Country for Old Men. Um, I haven't read Blood Meridian, but I just recently, I read No Country for Old Men when he died and just very much appreciated how easy, it, basically how it's written so matter-of-factly. I very much appreciated the ease of that. Ulysses, I need to like work up to at some point. Like my experience, like thumbing through it is that it's kind of like at some point you got to realize, like kind of just go with the ride. Yeah, I, I would say that a good way to approach Ulysses is sort of the way you would listen to a Shakespeare play. You can get the gist of it, even if you're not understanding every word. Right. Um, are you the kind of person who writes every day or do you often go long stretches without doing that? I write every day. Um, that's important to me. It helps helps me stay uh, focused and, and actually producing work. You know, it's 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 not glamorous, but you got to turn the crank if you want sausage. That's that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> do you do you go for a certain word count? I try to write five hundred words a day. I don't always make it, but if you do that well enough, at the end of the year, you've got a book. So yeah, I was really discouraged for a while because when I was trying to write longer pieces, I think I heard some. Stephen King quote, and I also brought this up on a separate episode where like he said something about how you need to write like four to six hours a day in order to be, to be like a truly good writer to like make yourself a good writer. Like you have to write that much. It's like, that's insane. Like nobody has, like most people don't have that. I mean, you can like carve out that time and just like sacrifice sleep and whatnot. But like most people like don't have that but I mean, he re he writes like 2000 words a day or something like that's completely bonkers. It is. Um, yeah, that's that's people like King and, and, you know, Michael Crichton, who would sometimes write five or six thousand words on a day regularly. That is that is just not something that I understand or can do with any kind of regularity. Um, and I don't I don't think it's actually important. I think that regularity is much more pressing than volume. Um, um, do you oftentimes, when you're writing stuff, like, are you oftentimes in a zone where, like, you're not really feeling like you're doing, like, top-notch stuff, but you're kind of, like, pushing through it in order to, like, you know, make the sausage or whatever? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, when, when something like that happens, I might even note to myself to punch something up later, but not every sentence you write can be the best sentence you've ever written. Never you... done. Sorry, what were you saying? I said, you'll never get anything done. Do you oftentimes map out everything like in a novel in advance, or do you kind of just come up with stuff more as the, as the story evolves or is it a little mix of both? I usually have a, a, a general roadmap for myself. I have had to develop that skill since I started traditionally publishing um, because the, 
you know, your publisher wants uh, an outline to be able to to take around to booksellers and magazines and stuff. Um, but it's it's not something that I consider super important to my process. And uh, there's there's always a fair amount of change on the ground for me mm-hmm. as I'm getting into the work. Um, how did you go about like once you started writing and completing novels? Like how did you go about trying to get stuff uh, published? So I actually didn't. Um, I was publishing strictly for myself. Most of my fiction was was and still is up on um, my my Patreon, which is a, a site where I post film criticism and fiction and other stuff for subscribers. Um, and it just so happened to be that when I posted the first chapter of what would become Manhunt, um, it wound up in front of the guy who would reach out and ask to become my agent, Connor Goldsmith. And he handled all the stuff with, with Nightfire and building out a deal. Um, it was, it was, it basically fell out of the sky on me, which was a, a real relief after a decade of crushing poverty. <laughs> well, did your, did your fantasy novels get published or? Oh no, uh, that's, those are all sitting in a trunk until the end of time. In, in the words of, of Kubrick, they are immature work. So, so basically, if I'm understanding correctly, like you just kind of, somebody just kind of like came across Manhunt and then it was just kind of like hand of God or whatever. Yeah, basically. Um, it was it was right place, right time. Um, I had commissioned sort of on the spur of the moment, a wonderful piece of art from Tom Horstman, the painter. Um, and I think that that caught people's eye enough that it went just uh, just far enough to to get some interest. That's awesome. Um, I was also curious, do you write under certain uh, conditions? No, I'm I'm really a throw rug. You know, just put me somewhere and give me a computer and I'll I'll get it done. Cool. You don't need like, you know, this much silence or even like this much noise, TV on in the background, nothing like that kind of like helps you more than others. Well, I do have um I have some sensory issues. I get overstimulated by noise um or like coarse feelings against my skin. Um so I, I, do, I do need a certain degree of, of comfort and quiet, but you know, it's, it's, it's something I can pretty easily get with a, a shower and a pair of headphones. Yeah. Do you write everything it's done and then you just kind of like start back from the beginning and then just like power through it again or how do rewrites usually work for you? Yeah. I mean, um, typically I'll get a first draft done on paper before I start rewriting anything. If I don't do that, I find that I'm I'm constantly pulling up flowers as soon as I planted them, um, and you, you just get stuck on the same row forever. What advice would you give? Because I'm curious whether, like, you're saying that you kind of started writing novels like out the gate. Like, so your concentration skills are probably pretty sharp. I'm assuming in order to even have like that sort of focus on a project until it's, until it's complete. Like, was there, is there anything that kind of like helps you maintain that focus 
for those of us, including myself, who would like to write a longer piece some at some point or a novel, but like haven't had the concentration as of yet? Mm. Well, I, I think before I say anything, I would say that writing advice is so subjective and so sure. situational and so particular that much or all of what I say might be totally useless to you. Um, but on the off chance that it isn't, I would say give yourself the experience of finishing something short and small. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't even really have to be coherent or make sense. Just finish it and tell yourself it's done and never touch it again. And then do that again and again and again. And eventually you'll be good at it. So basically just like no regard to like quality or anything like that, just like finish it. And then you have like the kind of like motivation, you have the empowerment, you realize like, oh, I can do this. And then like, it becomes easier and easier. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. The only way to develop the skill is to do the actions that it, that it necessitates. You have to create a finished work. Um, what other advice would you give anybody listening to this who is a, a writer, an aspiring writer, any sort of aspiring creative mind, something you wish you would have received, a lesson that you got later that you wish you learned earlier? Anything? First, it's not a field where you are going to make a lot of money. If you make any money, almost no books sell. The publishing approach to work is to put out 10,000 books and hope for five hits. So go in with measured expectations if you're going to go in. Um, my other two points of advice is very simple. One, don't wait until you're good or you think you're good. Just work. Do something. Put something out. And three, ask for more money. Sometimes they will give it to you. Like a pub, like it, like if a publisher is like offering to put out your book, and they say like we're going to give you this much money. Like you, you think it might be good to say no, fuck that. I want this much. I wouldn't say no, fuck that. I would say <laughs> well, sure, yeah, that's my wording. But like, yeah, it's something more business like by you know, say ten or twenty percent. And I think that a lot of people feel unable to say things like that in a business context, even though the other person might be very ready and prepared for it, especially because my generation is so financially insecure. I know that when I started working, someone would pay me 50 bucks for a movie review and I would be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm rich, you know? And that's, that's actually like a, a bottom of the barrel payment um, that I should have been pushing back against because it's exploitation of labor. Um, mm -hmm. So it, as tough as it is, I would say value your work and your time. I, uh, I, I, my experience with, you know, when I've made music or like other things is that generally I'm like such a pushover. Mm -hmm. And uh, if somebody just like compliments something that I do, then I might be just be like, Oh, here, have a free album or something like that. Like I'm, I'm so bad at any sort of like anything that you're describing in which like, I'm like, you know, standing up to somebody in some way and be like, no, sir. 
Like that, that is, uh, is, is, is that something that like comes naturally to you at all? Well, it certainly didn't when I started. Um, like I said, I was very, very, very poor for um, really most of my adult life. And only recently have I had like, you know, an income that is comparable to my, my cis friends who have real jobs, <laughs> um, which to me feels like just unlimited power, uh, you know, because I can walk down to the corner and get a coffee without having to worry if I have three bucks on my account to pay for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still, I'm still at that point. So. Yeah, I hear you. It's hard. Um, it's, it's maybe the single biggest challenge to producing good work was being under constant financial stress because it's not interesting and it's exhausting and there's very little you can do, but put your head down and push and push and push and push. Like it just kind of like takes the fun out of it a little bit when you have that like added pressure. Is that what you mean? Like that's well, certainly, that's certainly there's that. Um, but you know, at the time I also had um, a job as an editor that was just absolutely sucking the life out of me. And now, and now you've been able to be a, a professional novelist and congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a very lucky and B I'm a, a writer full time, but half of that time is, is film criticism, which until very recently was paying the bills. Um, even after I got my, my first book deal, I was not making an amount of money that would have sustained me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I've I've been really lucky to also be a, a fairly successful film critic. Um, well, is there is there anything else that you want to say about anything? <laughs> I I do have one thing that I try to say whenever I, I get a chance to talk to an audience of people who are interested in horror and interested in writing. And it's this, make exactly what you want. Exactly. Don't compromise it because you think it'll be more commercially accessible. I promise you there's nothing more interesting and magnetic to other people than the completely unalloyed passion that you have burning inside you that no one else has. Do it. At the very least, you will feel better. And I think often you'll be surprised by how other people respond to it. Unalloyed is a wonderful word. I, I, I don't, not, now that I'm hearing it, I don't know why I don't use it more often. Well, thank you. My dad is a, a big Scrabble word game jumble guy. Um, so vocabulary was very big in our house growing up. Gotcha. Um, well, I was, I was, I was very nervous going into this, uh, cause I'm such a fan. So I, ho I hope I did. Okay. I, I appreciate you being on oh, this, being, being on this podcast. Um, there is a patreon.com backslash the creative curmudgeon and venmo.com backslash the creative curmudgeon. Gretchen, can you try to convince people to give, give this podcast money? <laughs> I could do my best. Um, first, you were a very considerate and interesting interviewer, very polite, but not, you know, fawning or anything. And also thank you for, for enjoying my work. Um, 
I would say that if you can spare a few bucks, Jason's work is certainly worth it. Thanks, Gretchen. It was, it was, uh, it was really nice talking today. Yeah, lovely to meet you, Jason. Thank you for inviting me.